The forest had been known by many names over the millennia. The Clockwork Maze, the Forest of Youth, the Woods of Time, to name a few. Its longest standing name was the Forest of Tomorrow, though it was most commonly referred to simply as the Forest. It had been called mysterious, supernatural, dangerous, a blessing, a curse, an opportunity. Theories were abound as to the source of its power. Some said it was magical. Others claimed it was a lost technology, and there were even some who swore it was alien intervention. Whatever the case, the forest had become an integral part of the lives of the townsfolk that lived near its boundary. The forest was a place that didn't play by the normal laws of time and space. But make no mistake, it did follow a set of rules, whatever those might be. It was consistent in how it worked. Anyone who walked into the forest would become lost in an unmappable labyrinth. They would wander for exactly one day before the exit made itself known to them. But when they rejoined the world, exactly one year would have passed from the moment they were lost. It was consistent in how it worked. Anyone who walked into the forest would become lost in an unmappable labyrinth. They would wander for exactly one day before the exit made itself known to them. But when they rejoined the world, exactly one year would have passed from the moment they were lost. In other words, if you wanted to skip ahead a year, all you needed to do was spend a day in the forest. The forest became very useful for the townsfolk. In times of great famine, they sent masses into the woods one by one, hoping for a better tomorrow. If the farmlands hadn't healed in a year's time, or rain hadn't returned to that region, back into the forest they went, so on and so forth. There were keepers of history who were tasked with journeying to distant futures to ensure accurate depiction of their past. There was one for every decade, and the town kept a rigorous schedule of their comings and goings, preparing food and clothing before sending them back to skip year after year until there wasn't a single soul they recognized in town. They would skip centuries, one year day at a time, to ensure history was preserved. There were also dying townsfolk who would use the forest to help them see their children reach milestones. What's five days in the forest if you can walk your daughter down the aisle? What's two nights sleeping on the bed of leaves if you can meet and hold your grandchild? The forest of tomorrow was a beacon of hope. And then... There were people who used the forest for less noble goals. There was a story of a man who'd skipped ahead 200 years just to enjoy an aged drink. Teenagers sometimes ran in when grounded just to smarmily tell their parents that they'd technically done their time. Lovers would also test their devotion, promising one another they would wait for the other's return. And one went while the other waited outside. A year would pass, and the person would return to find either their relationship wasn't so strong after all, or all was well and truly worth committing to. It was usually the former. Criminals would weave in and out until so much time had passed their crimes were long forgotten. 
but the forest of tomorrow didn't care how it was used. It didn't think, it didn't judge. It simply was. The day had started like any other, so much so that Darcy had almost let herself forget that it was the day. But as soon as she glanced at her calendar, the knot in her throat made itself known. Every square was marked with checked-off to-do items. And then there was today. Into the forest, it read. The rest of the calendar was blank, and would remain that way, a daunting prospect, she thought. She collected her books, snacks, water, and her journal, everything she would need for her first trip into the forest. This was a trial run. If everything went well upon her return, she'd be accepted into the academy, and would spend the next five years getting formally trained as the next Keeper of History. If it went poorly, well... Someone else would get the job. The last trainee's handwriting skills proven too poor, so Darcy had practiced her penmanship and drawing skills to try and get an edge on the competition. But there was oral history, too. And she knew her oratory skills weren't the best. Would the Academy accept a keeper of history with a stutter? She'd find out tomorrow, or rather next year if we're being technical. After a final lap around her home to ensure she hadn't forgotten anything, Darcy headed out to town square where the academic panel waited. She attentively listened to their instructions and speeches, taking thorough notes to ensure she wouldn't forget. Everything they told her she'd need to recite accurately tomorrow. There would be no second chance. A good keeper of history needed to be able to absorb and regurgitate information as accurately as a book, but also give this context a more human touch. They were both academics, and to future generations, interesting artifacts from the past. Kind of like if zoo animals could do advanced trigonometry. There was an othering that happened over time, when views on life and morals and politics changed so drastically that the keeper becomes almost pitted, like a grandparent who doesn't understand how today's world works. When enough time passes, they revert back to an object of interest, to a window into another time, and then a keeper can become more casual. How and when to do this were things Darcy hoped to learn at the academy. Are you ready? The professor asked. Darcy stared at her journal, a bead of sweat falling from her forehead and dampening the page. She couldn't admit she'd missed the last few lines. She'd have to hope she knew enough to fool the panel into thinking she knew everything. Nervously, she nodded. Yes. The professor rose from her seat and walked to Darcy in slow, measured strides. Excellent. Come this way. We'll give you the offering. Ah, yes, the offering. It was a superstition-turned-ceremonial over time, where those who traversed the forest of tomorrow left a trinket behind at the only landmark in the ever-changing labyrinth. A stone altar. No one ever talked about what walking through the forest was like. It was considered private, almost sacred. The only thing that wasn't a secret was the knowledge of the existence of this altar. Even then, beyond there being a vague description, nothing else was shared about it. 
Darcy had never seen so much as a drawing of it. In any case, the professor led Darcy to a table with her choice of offerings, a jade tiger, a crow pendant, a lunar wind chime, a rubber ducky, and a pocket watch. Pick whichever calls to you, said the professor. She was afraid the professor would say that. With so many unknowns, it would have been nice to have had at least one less thing to worry about. She didn't feel attached to any of the items, nor did she believe in the ceremony. Reluctantly, with feigned reverence, she picked the wind chime, only because its sound would at least be familiar to her. The professor smiled. <laughs> An excellent choice. She probably would have said the same thing regardless of Darcy's decision, but all the same, Darcy smiled and acted as though glad for the approval. Is it time? The professor checked her watch and nodded. It is. Follow the path into the woods. We'll see you in a year. Darcy smiled nervously. See you tomorrow. The professor laughed insincerely. She'd probably heard that line a million times over. Darcy sighed. There was no holding her back now. She had her things, she had the instructions, she had her notes, and she had her goodbyes the night before. All that was left was walking into the unknown. Clutching the wind chime to her chest, she closed her eyes and forced herself to walk, her excitement and apprehension sometimes pulling her back, sometimes pushing her forward. She didn't open her eyes until she felt branches tickling her cheeks. That's when she knew she'd reached the point of no return. She was in the forest now. There were whispers in the distance. Darcy hadn't expected to hear voices. She opened her eyes and scanned the area by gaze, finding nothing but brambles and bushes. The air tasted different. There was something akin to the scent of a coming storm, but as far as she knew, it never rained in the forest. It was nothing if not temperate. Maybe the forest pulled the water from its lush greenery from the world around it. Maybe if she became a keeper of history, she'd travel so far into the future, scientists will have figured out how it all works. It was a nice, comforting thought. She looked at her hands, white-knuckling the wind chime. The stress had subsided now that she'd passed the threshold, but it had left a mark in the shape of a crescent moon impression on her palm. She swallowed the knot in her throat and resumed walking. There was no beaten path in the forest of tomorrow, but there were spaces where bushes were sparser and grass was shorter, almost as though the forest had made it for her. Like water, she followed the path of least resistance, assuming that's how it was supposed to work. As she walked, she practiced reciting what the panel had told her that morning. Everything she could remember, she stuttered out. Where she failed, she consulted her notes. It passed the time. It decreased her anxiety, it gave her purpose, and kept her mind off the claustrophobic forest. Where was the sun? Where was the sky? 
Every time her mind wandered from the speech, questions would come flooding in. Questions led to realizations, which led to more nervousness. The space made no sense. Branches hung from the sky, but she couldn't trace them back to any trunks. Were they branches or roots? Her innate sense of orientation, that feeling that tells you which way is up and which is down, jumbled like a compass unable to find north. Something about the forest played with her senses. She couldn't help but wonder whether she'd woken up that morning or if she was having a nightmare about the forest. Where were the branches coming from? Why weren't there any animals? Why could she still hear whispering in the distance? Clink, 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 clink. The wind chime grounded Darcy's wandering mind. She stopped and took a deep breath to calm her nerves and slow the racing metronome her heart had become. Everything was fine. No one had ever been lost in the forest. Well, not beyond a day year. Everyone who entered, like clockwork, exited on time, every time. She was safe she told herself. Everything was fine. She was fine. All she had to do was walk. Walk and recite the speech. As the hours went by, the whispers still unsettled her. The little discrepancies also bothered her, like how the moss seemed to grow in whichever direction rather than north, but she continued to reassure herself and redirect her focus as best she could. The next time she felt fear was when the ground shook. It was sudden and violent, coming in like a shockwave from an unknown direction. It knocked her down and disoriented her further, sending pebbles in the air and branches to the ground. The trees seemed to shudder and the leaves rattled like pom-poms, making a sound not unlike a mocking snicker. She couldn't get up at first. It was like her nervous system had hijacked her body, forcing her to lay there like a limp noodle. But once the shock wore off, she slowly began feeling her extremities again, and eventually she was able to push herself back to her feet. Darcy could feel warm blood trickling down her leg. She hadn't thought to bring a first aid kit. Of all the things to forget. Then again, no one had ever gotten seriously injured in the forest. She checked her leg and was glad to find the damage wasn't too bad. She sacrificed some of her water to clean the wound, then collected one of the falling branches to use as a walking stick. It hurt a lot more than she thought it should, but it wasn't swelling and it could hold her weight, so she didn't think it was broken. The absence of something is harder to notice than its presence. It took a few hours for Darcy to realize she couldn't hear the whispering anymore. She wasn't sure when it had stopped or why. Perhaps the deeper into the forest she went, the quieter it got. The hairs on her arm rose at attention. She shook the wind chime just to hear a sound. It had gotten so quiet. She'd done well to pick that particular trinket. 
When the altar came into the distant view, she almost pretended she couldn't see it, not wanting to part ways with the chime. This was her test, though, and she had to follow protocol no matter what. Feet crunching through fallen leaves, she pushed aside nearly bare branches and worked her way to the large stone altar. Upon closer inspection, it looked like it might have been a fountain once upon a time. There was a central pillar with an ornate design and an empty basin partially reclaimed by the forest. Was it a fountain? Or was it a sundial? Maybe it was both, she wondered. Darcy didn't see any other offerings and pushed aside dry leaves in the basin to search for them, but found nothing but aged stone and cracks. With no placement protocol to follow, she used her walking stick to help her hook the wind chime from one of the ornate protrusions from the center pillar. When the wind picked up, she heard the soft sounds of the metal rods clinking against each other. Darcy spent a while at the altar, eating her snacks and resting for the second half of her walk. She noticed, as her eyes wandered from her landmark, that the thick forest was growing more barren. It was almost like normal winter, but from the outside. The forest of tomorrow never lost its leaves, no matter how cold or dark it got. The only explanation she could come up with was that this is how people were supposed to find their way out. You go in surrounded by dense bush, and you find your way out when the bush clears out. It had to be it, right? Once she was well rested, Darcy took off again, bidding the altar and her wind chime goodbye. She resumed her studying and reciting work to keep her busy and ignored the nausea building up in her stomach. It's just the nerves, she told herself. She was hours away from her entrance exam, hours away from making or breaking her life. If she can become a keeper of history, what would she even do with herself? She'd spent her childhood learning everything she could. It couldn't be for nothing. She had to ace the exam. She had to get into the academy. She had to be absolutely perfect. A ray of lights caught Darcy's attention. There it was. The exit. For the first time in a day, she could see a clearing up in the distance. She quickened her pace, knowing it was pointless because the forest would only release her exactly a day after she entered, but the excitement took over and she ran. Pain be damned, nausea be damned, she was almost home. She would pass that test. She would get into the academy. She would become a keeper of history. Daylight blinded Darcy. She cupped a hand above her eyes to help them adjust. She knew she was out of the woods because the smell was gone, but something about the scent that replaced it wasn't quite right. Something about the silence dug its nails into her chest. Where was the welcoming committee? Where was the panel that was supposed to start questioning her immediately? Where was the sound of people going about their daily lives? Where was the smell of cooking and livestock and chimney smoke? Darcy's eyes finally adjusted, and through a squinted vision, she peered at what should have been her town. 
She needed the mountains behind it to confirm she'd walked out of the forest at the right spot because she had no other landmark to use. Her town was gone. Only the faintest remnants remained. A crumbling foundation, part of a stone fence, and a few broken statues. If you didn't know what to look for, you might not even know it had once been a town. Darcy fell to her knees, staring, wide eye in disbelief. We are the member members of the academic panel. Darcy murmured, reciting the entire speech in a blurry shock. There was no one to hear it. No one to confirm she'd remembered every detail. No one to accept her into the academy. She felt a mix of confusion and misplaced outrage. Surely the panel was out there somewhere. Maybe the town had to move. Someone could have... No, should have shown up and welcomed her home, brought her to the new settlement. This was ridiculous. She threw up suddenly, her head spinning. What happened to her home? What happened to the town? There were scorch marks, but no fire. There were shadows that looked like people outstretched on the few remaining surfaces. There was a radius with a clear center and a deep dent in the earth. Nothing was sizzling. Everything was cold. Whatever happened, it happened months ago. Long enough that the townsfolk should have come back, right? Darcy looked everywhere for a message, all while the nausea worsened. Sweat dampened her clothes. Panic formed a veil of irrational thought. Where was everyone? Why hadn't anyone come back for her? There had to be a mistake. They wouldn't have left her behind. Maybe she... Darcy looked at her skin. It was burning red and blistering. She couldn't believe she hadn't noticed it sooner. The pain started to trickle in slowly at first, but worsened with every passing minute. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? She lifted her head to the forest. Maybe the villagers had fled to the forest. They'd be back in a year. She could go in and meet them in a year. But the greenery was gone. The forest looked like a shell of itself. The once thick, lush lifeblood of the town was reduced to a dying mask of burnt and broken trees. Still, she ran to its protective arms, only to find the labyrinth wouldn't take her. It wouldn't spare her from fate. Night came and Darcy sat against a tree, head in her hands, reciting her speech between sobs. The blisters were getting worse. Her skin felt like it was a flame. She couldn't keep food or water down, nor did she have much to spare. The forest had been known by many names over the millennia. The last name it was ever given was the Wasteland. It was a place so barren and irradiated that anyone who dared set foot within proximity of it would suffer a painful death, alone, in a deathly quiet hell.
I work as a clerk for a large Northwestern law firm in the process of preparing a class action lawsuit to the makers and distributors of a mobile app called Polter Zeitgeist Find That Ghost. Due to false names and information being utilized in the initial distribution of the application, the search for the responsible parties is ongoing so that the suit can properly be served on the defendants. In the meantime, I was tasked with going through the available materials and generating summaries and reports for the attorneys working on that case. What I found scared me enough that I felt that I needed to issue a warning while attempting to maintain some level of anonymity. I'll begin by giving a brief description of the app. Polter's Zeitgeist, Find That Ghost, was originally distributed through various means online, with the publisher listed as Null143325. It was later discovered that this was not actually the name of any known publisher, but an error message generated when the required information was somehow removed from the databases of the platforms distributing the app. There is no known record of the actual name of the organization or the people behind the app. And as I said, that investigation is ongoing. The app is described as a ghost hunting tool that uses crowdsourced EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, and citing reports to provide likely locations for paranormal activity, as well as, quote, activity-driven and streaming rewards for investigations and live streams. Basically, the app takes your data and that of others and uses it as a basis for suggesting places to look for ghosts. At the same time, it provides a form of metagame that rewards you with unlockable digital items, cosmetics for your ghost hunter avatar, and access to special forms where you post data when you livestream your investigations through the app. The live streaming portion is wholly proprietary, and the app does not work or give any ghost credits if you're streaming through another service. Similarly, viewing of a ghost hunter's live stream must be done through the app itself for optimal results. Attempts to watch someone else's phone or tablet through a different streaming service causes severe degradation of video quality caused by what our tech guy is calling intentional random sequence frequency modulation. I don't know what any of that means, but the practical effect is that as of three months ago, there were about 3,000 regular stream viewers using the app in the continental United States. Out of that, nearly 600 were watching Sam the Spook Hunter when he was murdered. Sam the Spook Hunter Morris was a low-tier internet celebrity for the paranormal investigator crown before Polter Zeitgeist, but... He found a much stronger following as one of the first and best streamers on the app. His first few weeks of in-app streaming were unremarkable by most accounts. And then, on June 29th, 2018, he started his stream very excited, saying he thought he'd just unlocked a secret location. Included below is my summary of this and subsequent streams that I prepared for work. I do not post this lightly or for entertainment value, but I hope it will serve as a better warning than I alone could provide. June 29th, 2018. 
Sam begins his stream inside his apartment. He's clearly very excited. He says he has somehow unlocked a secret paranormal hunt called the Dark Path. He shows the app on his phone, leading to the assumption that he is streaming from another phone or tablet. Given that the app screen is clearly legible, it is to be assumed he was streaming through the app on the tablet. The app screen says, Welcome to the Dark Path. You've shown bravery and ingenuity in your past investigations, and as a reward, you'll be given the opportunity to visit four secret locations that are known for supernatural activities and past atrocities. Are you strong enough to make it to the end? Below this text, there was a low-resolution map used by the app to guide you to recommended locations. But unlike most users, Sam's map had a pulsing red star in one corner. He manipulated the map, sliding toward the star and zooming in. He said that he guessed it was about 40 miles away and he was about to head out. Within 10 minutes, he was on the road, talking to viewers as he drove toward the destination. At one point he stopped for gas, and it was at this time he caught up on reading the chat room attached to the live stream. Several viewers had searched online for information based on what his destination seemed to be, and no one had found anything remarkable. It was a quiet street in the suburbs with a small bus stop nearby. This didn't rule out something interesting being out there, but it was easy to see that Sam was starting to get worried his trip would be a bust. He begins to sing along to the radio and discuss possible fallback things to do on stream if the Red Star wound up being nothing. But it wasn't nothing. Based on the available information, Sam arrived at the marked location at approximately 10.41 at night. After driving around the area slowly, he eventually parked and tried to zero in on the Red Star's location by foot. It didn't take long for the young man to realize it was taking him to the aforementioned bus stop, which amounted to little more than a pair of metal benches and a small overhanging closure to keep waiting riders out of the weather. He entered the enclosure and panned the camera around, his forced excitement turning into something more genuine as he saw something on the edge of one of the benches. Zooming in, there was a small toy skeleton sitting on the bench. Its white, plastic bones and skull had been smeared with something that looked like blood, and based on his reaction to it, it seems likely Sam truly thought it was blood as well. Next to the skull, a red word had been written on the metal. What? The first video ends there. July 3rd. 2018. The video begins with Sam explaining that he was somewhat troubled by what he had found, but he had decided to go ahead with the investigation, noting that a second star had popped up on the map since he found the bus stop. This portion of the video did not seem genuine. It seems likely that, as is a common cliché for both paranormal investigator performances and internet performances, Sam's fear and reluctance to continue were fake. The obvious reason for this is to generate traumatic tension and potentially make relatively mundane events appear more dangerous or interesting 
This is in stark contrast to the earnest emotions he sometimes shows at other points in these videos. Again, he drives to the location of the star while streaming. This point is closer to his apartment, but it requires him to go into a closed construction site to find the exact location of the star. He appears to be truly nervous about trespassing, but in a perceived attempt at false bravado, he makes a point of moving slowly and casually past several pieces of heavy machinery on his way to an office trailer that had been set up by the construction company. Using his phone's light, he searches around the perimeter of the trailer to no avail. Sam then tries looking underneath it, but there was little access and nothing to be seen of note. At this point, he seems close to abandoning the search, but after viewing several encouraging messages in chat, he opts to try the doorknob of the trailer instead. It opens easily, and the interior is dark. Walking in slowly, you can hear his breath puffing nervously as he quickly shines his light around in a desperate search for whatever sign or clue might be there. It only takes a few seconds for him to find the small black cat toy nailed to the back of the door. Similar to the skeleton, it is covered in what looks like blood. Similar to the skeleton, there is one word written in crimson above the tiny stuffed feline. Does. July 5th, 2018. This video is longer than the rest, as Sam spends some time at the beginning trying to explain and justify himself to the several criticisms he had received after his earlier videos. Some people were complaining about him doing next to no investigation at the locations, likening it more to a televised scavenger hunt than the traditional ghost hunts his viewers were accustomed to. Others noted that he was taking unreasonable risks by following directions from an unknown source that clearly had been to the locations indicated. A handful just called the streams lame, or hoped, you get your fat ass locked up for trespassing. All of this clearly upset Sam, and he awkwardly tried to take up for himself while placating his fan base. He said that he was trying to play it safe, but that there also just hadn't been much to investigate other than the items and the words themselves. He did promise, however, that the first place he ran across that looked ripe for really exploring, he would do so. However, it wouldn't be that night. The third star was only ten miles away at a public park. Sitting on the edge of a large stone fountain was a tiny clay pumpkin, and as expected, it was smeared with blood or something similar in appearance. This time, there were two words. The Ghost. July 12th, 2018. This stream also started with some kind of apology. This time for his absence. Sam explained that his father, who lived in the house next door, had recently had a severe stroke, so he'd spent the last several days at the hospital and helping his dad transition to a nursing home for rehab. It appears that he's close to tears at this point, but he quickly turns it around by talking about the latest message he received in the app. 
As before, he shows the screen in the video so the audience can read it. It said, Congratulations. You've made it to the final turn on the dark path. Your final Red Star location will appear precisely at 9pm PST. Good luck. Despite his earlier sadness, Sam seemed truly excited and nervous about reaching the end of the game. He commented that he had twice as many live viewers as he'd ever had before, and it's clear from his conversation with people in his chat room and his overall demeanor that he doesn't want to let them down. He also discusses what the dark path could really be. It was clear it wasn't really a collection of traditional haunts, and Sam agreed with many of his viewers that it was most likely a promotional contest of some type to get the word out about the app. As 9pm came on, he excitedly showed the tablet's camera the appearance of the new red star. It was only after talking for a few seconds and studying the map that his enthusiasm faded. The red star was next door, at his father's house. He gave a nervous laugh when he realized this, and there was a moment when he looked into the camera and you could see real fear in his eyes. But then he seemed to shake it off somewhat and started making jokes about how big a deal he must be if they set up the end of the contest this close to his house. He pauses again as he reads his chat room, and that fearful, haunted look briefly returns to his face. He says several people are telling him not to go over there, that something wasn't right, and he should call the police. He seems to weigh the suggestion before rejecting it, smiling nervously into the camera as he gets up to go over to his father's house. It'll be okay, guys. I promise. Besides, I have you all to protect me if it gets too scary, right? July 12th, 2018, continued on second camera. Based on the change in image quality and comments by Sam, it appears he abandoned the tablet and began using his phone as his primary streaming device for his journey next door. While not explicitly stated, it can be assumed from the circumstances and Sam's behavior that he wanted less restrictions on his attention and movement during the last leg of the dark path and managing two electronic devices was too unwieldy. He leaves his apartment and walks next door to a small gray house with peeling paint. After taking a moment to survey the empty street, he walks to the front door and lets himself in. He immediately attempts to turn the lights on in the front hall, but they don't work. You can hear him curse softly as his breath begins to pick up speed. <laughs> Things are finally getting spooky, guys, he says with a shaky laugh. After a moment of looking around with the phone's small flashlight, he moves further up the dark hall. At this point, he's moved past a narrow set of stairs, going up to a second floor, and has reached the intersection of three doorways. The left is an open doorway, into what looks like a living room from the shadowy glimpses that the camera affords. To the right is a doorway, covered by a long curtain, likely a closet or storage area of some kind. 
Straight ahead is a white door that Sam says leads into the kitchen. He's about to open it when he notices something above the kitchen door. It's a small ghost that has been fashioned out of dried cornstalk leaves. He wears a small black velvet bow tie and would have been very cute if not for the blood coating it and the wall around it. Written to the left of the bloody ghost is... Say... What does the ghost say? The phone is shaking by this point, and it seems like Sam might be having second thoughts about being in the dark house by himself. He sits silent for several moments, shining his light around in the dark before muttering the completed phrase as though trying to solve the unknown puzzle of it all. What does the ghost say? Boo. Suddenly, a large form rushes out from behind the curtain to his right. There's only a glimpse of the figure as Sam drops his phone and starts screaming, but it appears to be a massive man wearing some kind of prosthetic or mask to make himself appear monstrous. When the video is slowed down, there is also some indication of a weapon, though it cannot be clearly discerned beyond appearing to be metallic and heavily serrated. There's a moment of chaos as Sam's screaming, the sounds of a struggle, and finally a wet, tearing noise occurs off camera. And then the live stream is dead. The audience of that stream had mixed reactions to what they'd witnessed. Many thought it was a joke or a sham, orchestrated by either Sam, the app developer, or both. Others were genuinely concerned and called authorities either in their own areas or Sam's. There was a brief criminal investigation, but no sign of Sam or his phone was ever found. The only reason we even have a recording is due to one of the viewers having figured out a way to record the streams directly from his phone. And Sam's father died from a follow-up stroke two days after the last video, so... There was no one to even file a missing persons complaint on him. Officially, nothing has happened to Sam. But how, then, did our firm get involved in it? We can't file a lawsuit on behalf of a missing or murdered man. Because since the night Sam reached the end of the dark path, five more people have disappeared. Two of them caught on stream, the other three known users of the app and not streaming at the time whatever happened to them happened. It was only after six people have been lost that it was taken seriously. Complaints were filed, the apps were removed from most platforms, and criminal investigations were started and then stopped again due to claims of insufficient evidence. After talking to three of the families of the missing, our firm started work on a class action lawsuit for any and all parties injured by the app and whatever lies behind it. The problem is, it's not really over. The app doesn't seem to be widely distributed so long as some people continue using it. We started getting in reports last week that it uses your contacts to email them and text out links to new download sites for the app. As of yesterday, the usage rate was up to over 8,000. So I'm posting this as a warning. Stay away from the app. 
tell your friends and family to do the same. And if you get an invitation, well, I don't know what to tell you. I got my invitation text three hours ago. It was via a friend I haven't seen since college, but kept up with through social media. I didn't even know she had my phone number, but now I know she does. That they do. And they probably have much more than that. I'm giving my notice tomorrow, and I think I'm going to use a burner phone for a while. Unplug a bit, stay in with the doors locked. Not that I'm worried I'd ever go to visit the ghost. I've seen far too much to fall for that. I'm just worried that the ghost may come to see me. I want to give a quick thank you to all of my $5 patrons and members. Absent Alice, Alice E, Amethyst, Amet, Caroline, Christina Smith, CT, Deborah Tychus, Elizabeth Watkins, LSG, Furious Weasel, If in Doubt, Flat Out, Jesse Just Jess, Justin Yazaromsky, Karen Parrot, Cat, Lee Riggs, Lindsay Pruitt, Melody Evans, Melissa Berwick, Mindy Bannon, Nicholas Moore, Nikki Parsons, Nova Nocturne, Ray Clegg, Centennial, The New On 24, Tiger Princess, Triumph, Victoria Step. Thank you all for the amazing continued support.